Welcome back to 24 Faithful. We are back today. My name is Joshua Rivers, and I am joined today by Joel Wood. So good to have you, Joel. Good to be here. We are unfortunately Bradless again today. Uh, he has also he has disappeared, and nobody knows where he's at. Yeah, we're trying to get with Chloe to reposition the satellite. Um, it's taking her a little while to be able to get that uh, for us. So whenever she gets that, we'll find him, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to report back next week as to Bradley's well, warehouse. Well it's, hard, well, it's hard for her to do that because, you know, she got sent home, so she's got to do everything from remotely. So, Yeah, but anyway, so we have today, picking up on the second part of Season 4, looking at Episodes 7 through 12 specifically. And so this takes place between 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. I almost said on the day of the California presidential primary, but that is not the case in this season. But in the first part of season four, we see that Jack is now working this season as um, uh, with the Secretary of Defense, uh, James Heller, and he is dating his daughter which I, I'm still curious as to how all that happened. I haven't looked into, okay, did the dating come first? Did the uh, working come first? But anyway, that's a, a topic for another day probably. But in the very first episode, we see that Heller and Audrey are kidnapped at the end of, season, uh, of episode one. And then Jack ends up rescuing them less than five hours later. And of course, the whole time... Uh, Jack is not getting any support from Driscoll until the very end. She resists him so much that Jack employs uh, Chloe to work undercover um, and behind Driscoll's back to be able to try to get him satellite coverage. Um, and then when Driscoll finds out about that, Chloe is detained and Jack almost gets arrested. But then, um, But then we see that uh, Jack does actually get through and rescues um, Heller and Audrey. And while everyone thought that that was basically the end of the the emergency, they realize that Heller was just a diversion from what was really going to be going on. And that was the fact that Marwan was using an override device to as access the network of nuclear power plants across the country and it's planning on melting them down, causing mass chaos and death across the country. And not only to mention the death, but also then just the radiation poisoning that would go everywhere. But anyway, that is where we find ourselves as we enter into this particular season. And as we get there, um, it starts out by um, Jack and Audrey following up on a lead that Audrey had while she was being kidnapped. She had recognized the person. And so they went to, um, to a place where security footage was to where Audrey would be able to ID the person. And while they are there, the place comes under attack. And so Jack ends up finding out and discovering that CTU is compromised. And so instead of, calling CTU because there's no one that he can trust. He says, he picks up his phone and he starts to dial and he tells Audrey, I am calling the only person I can trust. And that's where Joel enters in. Because the only person that he can trust is my main man, Tony Almeida. My head and shoulders favorite character of the whole series. Are you sure? Now, I haven't heard you talk about Tony ever. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, if you go back to a couple of podcasts, you might hear me mention his name once or twice. <laughs> Not to so, mention the president of the Bring Back Tony fan club. I still have the t-shirt. So, I remember saying uh, last week that the, um, the scene with Jack saving Heller was one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Well, in a strange turn of events, uh, this week I'm talking about another one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. 
which is the uh, the attack at the uh, what's it called Felstead Security. Um. So Jack and Aud- Jack and Audrey go there to identify this man that she saw at the at the um, hostage site, and nobody knows they're there. So when they get attacked, automatically Jack knows that CTU has been compromised. So the one thing he can do is call somebody that's not at CTU. Well, the only person that he can trust is Tony Almeida, which is another evolution of the relationship between the two because when we first saw these two in season one, they did everything but trust each other. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> they, couldn't trust, they couldn't trust the other person as far as they could throw them. And now here we are in season four, and Tony is pretty much the only person Jack can call. So the entire setup of the the build, the him looking out the door on the phone, saying the only person he can trust right now, the build up was 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 fantastic, and it reminds me why season four was one of my favorite seasons. Um. And then the the you know I'll I'll give I'll give Bradley some due here because he always calls out the the music of the episode. So the the, the entire music um, composition leading up to Tony coming in when Jack and Audrey are sitting behind the the, the toolboxes and Jack says I'm out I'm out. So they have no ammunition, and Jack's sitting there with his with his gun, like he's like he's about to, like he's about to hit, like he's about to hit these guys that probably have about I don't know five or six bullets, but that's neither here nor there. So small matter for Jack. <laughs> so, so and and they get to this last point where you know something's about to happen, and then all of a sudden you hear just two bullets and bad guys go down and then the reveal and then the reveal of, of Tony being there with, with the gun and, and yelling for Jack and Jack yelling for Tony. And it was just, the whole setup was just to bring Tony in that way. And of course we, we learned later on in the next episode exactly what he's been doing this entire time. But, if you remember the end of season three, we were under the impression that he was in prison. So for somebody watching season four the first, for the first time, you know, their first inclination is, okay, how did Tony get out of prison so fast? <laughs> because Brad Hammond said he was facing about 20 years. So it was, it was masterful in the way that they did it. And it also presents my favorite version of Tony because I always even during the first three seasons while I liked Tony I always liked him better when he was out in the field I never thought Tony was the kind of guy that should have been stuck at CTU um, running protocols I always thought that he should have been more out in the field because he's more capable he's um He's better at handling himself. I always thought that he should, he should have been out in the field more um, than he was. So that, that's why season four, the after he showed up, that was probably, probably my favorite version of Tony in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that too. It was very very awesome. I remember back to the first time I saw that and Tony showed up. It's like. Oh! It was it was exciting. I didn't scream like that, but <laughs> you sure <laughs> it was on the inside. But but yeah, and so and then you say so so it's like you get this thing. It's like yes, Tony's here, and then and then you see Tony, and then he's like totally depressed, and it's like it's like Jack, you ruined my you ruined my break. I was <laughs> or whatever. He was busy doing nothing, and. <laughs> And it's like, it's like, he's unemployed, so he's not doing anything. He's uh, apparently drinking all the time and he's just in his really, really bad place. 
and it kind of reminded me of like Jack back at the beginning of season two. And I mean, they're, they're just very, very dark place in their, in their life. And so, but I, I almost think that Tony had it worse because here he did. He almost lost his wife. He got her back. And I think at the end of three, he was basically okay with the fact that he had to go to jail. He realized that, okay, yeah, I broke a lot of laws and all that kind of stuff and put a lot of people in jeopardy for what I did. But my wife is safe. I would and I so, wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say he was okay with it because well, if you saw the look on his face when Brad said he was facing twenty years, that didn't look like a man that was okay with it. Well he just knew that there was nothing he could do about it. But as but like yeah. you said, as long as his wife was safe, then I guess, you know, he has to do what he has to do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so but but we get to this point now to where he gets out, great. And so he doesn't spend the twenty years that that Brad told him. He gets out because Jack and Palmer are pulling strings and whatnot to be able to get him out. He gets out and things aren't right with, with Michelle and they end up separating and it just, and it just sends him into a spiral. But anyway, that was probably one of, that was probably one of Palmer's last acts as president, wouldn't it? Uh, to pardon Tony, because I can, I can only imagine that that's the only way he would have been out of prison was if, President Palmer would have pardoned him. That's probably true. I don't remember. I, I'm not sure if uh, if there's any information that says that or not, but that would make sense. And so, because Palmer did still have a little bit of time, but <clears throat> Joel's going to look it up real quick. That's but anyway, so uh, <laughs> so so I think it, it's interesting though because because as uh, as you mentioned, Joel. Uh, Tony said that the only reason he did what he did was basically just to pay Jack back because he owed Jack. And it's like, okay, you, you owed me. I come, I save your life. And now we're square. I don't have to worry about anything else from this point forward. And so in Tony's mind, they're on even playing ground at this point, but Tony says, okay, well you can go ahead hide out at my place. They get there and he lets Jack use his internet to be able to conduct whatever searches and stuff that he needs to be able to do and pinpoint the next um, action and things like that. Jack gets uh, a car. Uh, he contacts Heller and gets a car for Audrey to be able to transport her safely. And he says, I'm going to go do this on my own. And Tony's hearing Jack's half of the conversations like, now, wait a minute, you're doing what by yourself? <laughs> and so even though after J Tony says I don't want anything to do with what's going on today he hears Jack say I'm going to go out and do this Tony's like well it's stupid if I save you and then let you go out there and die again he's like that's stupid he's like I'm going with you <laughs> and so it, it, I think it really shows um, Tony's uh, that side of Tony's character though because he does have generally speaking he has that sense of loyalty to where it's like, okay, he really does like Jack, even though he doesn't want to get messed up with everything that's going on at CTU and all that kind of stuff. Again, it's like as a friend, he doesn't want Jack going in there like that. Yeah. And, um, and by the way, I found out here, uh, Tony Almeida was sent to prison for treason, but was released early when Jack secured a pardon from president Palmer. Okay. So, so that was, uh, most likely one of, Palmer's last acts before he resigned. Um, but you could, it speaks to his character, but it also speaks to the amount of respect and admiration that he had gained for Jack over the past uh, three seasons, three and a half seasons. Um, <clears throat> because I don't think the Tony I made of season one would have cared if Jack went and handled it by himself or not. Yeah. <laughs> so um but it, it it spoke to his conscience um because he knew that Jack going over there by himself was a suicide mission. Especially when we found out later that, you know, there was a sniper on the roof. So, you know, that sniper could have easily after he after he shot the other guy could have easily turned his gun on Jack. Um, so I think, <clears throat> I think 
he was depressed, which by the way, Michelle, horrible person. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy goes to prison saving your life. And then he's a little depressed when he gets out. I mean, if I just got out of prison and I can't find a job, I'd be depressed too. Um, and then she just leaves him, but whatever. So he goes, he goes to catch this guy, which name escapes me at the moment. Um, but it, it also, the one liners that Tony displays, um, in those sequences is why I, is another reason why I love Tony so much. Because the <laughs> you could tell the the inconvenience when he goes it when he when he's talking to his I guess that's his girlfriend those at the house I want to go to work or whatever and then Audrey calls her over and asks her to please not go to work and she's like I'm sure your boss will understand and and then she's like well what if he doesn't well I can have him killed. <laughs> so I thought that was a great one-liner and then you saw Tony when he had to go in there and, and snatch the phone from her because she was making phone calls like an idiot so he had to go in there and snatch the phone from her and then he comes back and he was like alright make your call <laughs> so it's like <laughs> It's it's like it's like grumpy it's like grumpy Tony Almeida to the fullest, but it it also speaks to how he just doesn't want to be bothered, and he even said it to Jack in front of the in front of the TV that Jack reminded him of a past that he was trying to forget, not not just the the CTU or, you know, the, the life that Jack lives, but the fact that that job basically cost him his marriage to Michelle. And that, as we, as you could tell in season three, that meant more to him than anything else. And for that, for that to go away, for that marriage to end because of that job, even though he owed Jack and even though he didn't want to see Jack die because Jack is his friend. Um, at the same time, every time he looked at Jack, he was reminded of the fact that Michelle left him. And I thought that, you know, as the episodes progressed and as he was going to, to help him catch the, the guy at the um, before he took off, um, when he went to uh, pick up Dina Araz, who I can't stand. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the, the the further along in the process you got, it's like Jack said, he saw his friend come alive because the more the more the process went along, the more involved he started to get, the more animated he started to get. And it's he started to quickly become the old uh, Tony Almeida. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and actually, that I think the depth of his love for Michelle really drives. I mean, we we saw it. We, we it drives like everything he does from <laughs> season three forward. It drives everything there. Um, and so we see the consequences that happen in season three and then everything that happens in, and this is, I mean, it, it shaped his attitude here, but also everything he does in five and in seven, as much as we don't like things he did going forward, but we see the drive that he had because of, and I mean, it was just so deep. Um, but Anyway, so Joel is getting all depressed now, so I will back away from that so we let's, can let's, let's keep, not keep talk, a good light let's on not talk Tony about for seven, now. Let's not talk about seven until we have to, Josh. Okay, so <laughs> moving on in, in season four, though, we have a new mole. and uh, it, Worst mole ever. So, so, so in season three, 
we got rid of Nina and we got rid of Sherry. But I would say we come to season four here, and if Sherry and Nina had a baby, <laughs> it would be Marianne Taylor. Oh my word! And so I, I, I don't, I don't have a lot. I mean, just all kinds of drama, really annoying, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the character works, but it's just really annoying. I, I, I thought she wore out her welcome. Like she was in way too many episodes. Um, one of the things that <clears throat> one of the down parts of 24 and one of the things that always annoyed me over the years is they have certain crutches, right? There are certain things that going into a season you are guaranteed to get. Um, number one, uh, a nuclear threat, um, or excuse me, a global threat. Let me not say nuclear. Um, and number two, uh, well, number two, more than one person in charge of CTU. And number three, you're always going to have a mole. Doesn't matter if it's in CTU, doesn't matter if it's in the government, could be both. Could be the president, the president's inner circle, or it could be CTU, or it could be both. But one thing you're guaranteed to have in every season is a mole at some point, somewhere. And <clears throat> of all the moles that we've had uh, throughout the history of 24, I uh, will say that Marianne Taylor was probably the worst of the bunch um, because she did not cover her tracks very well. Um, she did not have a good explanation for it. Um, Curtis suspected that she was up to something from the moment she got there. Um, so it's not like she was flying under the radar. Um, and she made an enemy of, of Edgar, who is the worst person to make an enemy of because he asked so many questions. So that's that's the worst person you want to make an enemy of because Edgar was the one person that could find out what you're doing. So to make an enemy of him, automatically he's going to look for a way to get you out of there. So other than Chloe, I'm, Edgar's pretty much the, the one person you do not want to make an enemy of. And the way the way that she did it the way that she tried to cover her tracks um the the sloppiness of it it, it to come from Nina and 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 Sherry who were so you know as, as annoying as they were they were so good at covering their tracks they were so good at making you think that they were doing the right thing um until you found yeah. out they weren't and Mary and Marianne Taylor, from the moment she walked in the door, even if you had never watched the season before, from the moment she walked in the door, you instantly thought mole, because just the way that she, the way that she got the job, her history with Curtis, you as soon as as soon as she showed up on screen, you could tell that she was up to no good. Because she acted, she acted like she was up to no good from the moment she walked in the door. Yeah, there's like so. I, I I guess in that sense, she's not like Nina because Nina that was just boom out of the blue, absolutely like no lead. I've up, already but. expressed myself <laughs> on that, but yeah. So so with this one, it's like it's like no surprise. It's like okay, well, of course she's the mole. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, very very well, annoying. And yeah, like you said, and, and then also, I mean, the amount of work that she didn't do, I mean, she bragged about how productive and how good she was, but it's like every five minutes, she's at somebody else's desk asking for something. And it's like, okay, just leave everyone alone and do your work. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's another trait of a bad mole because a good mole would stay out of everybody's way. Yeah. Like, like Gael, even though we even though we found out later that Gael wasn't really a mole, he was just acting like one. Mm -hmm. But you never saw him. <laughs> like the only time you really saw Gael is when he was coming out of out of the um, 
I guess the IT room or whatever it, whatever it's called. That mm-hmm. was the, that was the, one of the only times you saw him. He stayed in there the entire time. That's a good mole. He stayed out of everybody's way. Mm-hmm. Marianne Taylor, just from the moment she got there, she was just all up in everybody's face. Edgar, Sarah, Curtis. It didn't matter who it was. She was always asking for stuff. She was always making herself seen. And that is the, the, the trademark of a bad mole. Nina, as much as I hate the reveal of her being the mole, the entire season leading up to that, she was doing everything she can to save Jack's life. She wasn't asking anybody for anything. She was doing her job, staying out of everybody's way. Marianne Taylor was doing the exact opposite. She was always in everybody's way, always asking people for stuff. Always, she tried to blackmail Edgar. When you're a mole, the last thing you should be trying to do is blackmail the smartest person in the room. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just the whole the whole setup was just flawed from the moment she got to see to you. Mm-hmm. From the moment she got to see to you, it was just doomed to fail, which is why I say she lasted too many episodes. Because if she was a good mole and she actually did, she actually stayed under the radar to the point to where you didn't know she was good, but you didn't know she was bad either, then it would have been different. I could have took it. But even if I hadn't watched season four yet, I could tell the moment she got to see to you that she was a mole. And then she did everything she could to not hide the fact that she was a mole, which is why I say she lasted too many episodes. Because once you already know that she's a mole, at that point, you're just waiting for the reveal to happen. Mm-hmm. And I felt like... I get caught. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew she was a mole. I was just waiting to see how she was going to be uh, revealed as the mole. And that's why I felt like it took too long. Because most of the time, most of her scenes were mainly filler. Other than when she was talking to the bad guys and when she was, you know, those few scenes where she tried to blackmail Edgar. Other than that, most of that was just filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> so we have on the on the op well, I guess that's not the opposite side. The side that she was actually working for, um, not CTU, but she was working for Marwan, um, basically as a spy. Um, but but on that side we have Navi and the Araz family that their 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 role in the terrorism part, as far as like the terrorists were concerned, their part was done. But their story continues on and um their we see where Baruz was um, to be killed, um, but he turns around and kills the guy that was supposed to kill him, and and that that was kind of a shock. And we kind of mentioned that last week, but but Dina and Baruz is, are running and hiding from Navi because Navi is bound and determined to get rid of Baruz because he's been such a liability, and. I suppose he'd probably have to take care of his wife too, because well, you might as well. She, she knows she knows too much, <laughs> as they say. And so, um, I, I I think overall the storyline is okay, but there's a lot of it that's unnecessary. Um, some of the interesting things to me, um, or one of the interesting things was Bruce's uncle. It seemed kind of odd, but I thought it was interesting in the fact that, um, I, I don't know, I, I guess a lot of the stereotypical thing is like you have, uh, you, you have these terrorist groups and it's, and it's like they, they come together or they all come over as a family and they're all involved or whatever. And th- this is definitely not that case where this uncle, he was totally oblivious to any of the terrorist activities that the Baruz's family was involved in and Avi and all that. And very naive. <laughs> say again. Very naive. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably say so. You know, that are uh, Navi and uh, Dina were very, very good actors around, around family um, because it seemed like they were 
a close enough family to where that to where it's not, it's not like oh we we see each other at Christmas or I guess they probably wouldn't celebrate Christmas but I don't, um, I don't know I would I wouldn't look at Dina and the first thing I and the first thing that came to mind would be good actor because <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm I'm sure the actor that plays her is a pretty good actor but Dina herself is like the look she gives people the way she talks is just very evil and monotonous and i i would just not look at her and think that she was up to anything uh good mm-hmm. yeah that yeah very true so <laughs> but anyway so it, it was just i just thought that was kind of interesting but a lot of the storyline though it just it's like uh and it, it's like they just put stuff in there i think for um for a plot device for as filler and it's like okay well it's not quite time for him to get caught yet but we've got to keep him doing something and all that and it just kind of seemed to drag on to me it seemed like it was too long way but, too long but anyway so but again the uh the big bad guy that we're after is marwan and i i thought it was really interesting when they actually get to the takedown scene or, or the fact that first of all that marwan is operating in the open i just thought that was i, I just really thought that was interesting because it's like all the other bad guys it's like they got their own little hideout somewhere they're they're operating in this in this little small area whereas marwan he's right here in this office building and it's like he's taking care of himself and he walks out of a room and there's 50 other people working as office workers do, and it just and then he sits down on one of the computers and he sits there programming the nuclear devices to go off. It's like, oh my! <laughs> that was really interesting. Don't don't mind don't mind me, guys. I'm just causing a nuclear holocaust. Go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, it was like, wow, that, that's interesting. But it was interesting as Jack and Curtis are going through and doing the takedown. Of course, Curtis got was being interrogated and all that kind of stuff and turned it around. But as they're going through that office, they're trying to find Marwan. They have no idea what he looks like, but they're trying to find someone that looks suspicious. They find someone. Nope. That's not it. Just playing. And so they're, and so they're going through and then Marwan's like, okay, something's going on and he ends up escaping, but they, they find where they're doing that. And Jack tries to take control and get over and he's able to shut down some of them but there's still some lingering ones and edgar ends up trying to take control of all those but but anyway yeah i just thought that whole sequence was really good he um edgar eventually does uh take control of the of the the reactors um but you see that marwan under the alias of harris barnes was oblivious as to what was going on. And I'm, I'm guessing that even though they didn't know what he looked like, he probably didn't know what Curtis looked like. Because Curtis is walking around, because he knew that the agent was loose, but Curtis is walking around in the, in the office area. Marwan is oblivious, apparently, until the last minute. So... He gets this phone call from his last, um, I guess the guy's name is Ali. Um, Once Ali notices the CTU agents outside Um, and they, they get rid of him, you know, they kill him, but not before he's able to make the call to warn Marwan. So after Marwan makes his escape, um, we see Curtis take control of the override and, Edgar is able to uh, take control of the reactors and get them back online. Um, but Jack, <clears throat> Jack's still in pursuit of Marwan. And then we find out that Marwan has actually impersonated a CTU agent, um, which I believe ended that episode. Um, but to Marwan we found out later that Marwan had basically prepared everything for this day. Everything since he came to America, I forget how many years ago, was in preparation for this day. So even though the override was 
primarily what he was after. You had to know that if you spend your entire life, you spend your entire time in America preparing for this one day, that you're going to have contingency plans. So even though the the override was not successful, um, Marwan still had still had an end game, and he was not he was not finished yet. And I thought that the the scene where <clears throat> excuse me the scene where they're walking down the hallway and they're looking for him and you see good old Harris Barnes just sitting there typing away on the computer just to, <laughs> just oblivious to everything you know he's he's just causing a nuclear meltdown nothing nothing special and that that whole scene is indicative of why season four is one of my favorite seasons because they have so they have so many standout scenes that you know you can't you can't get to them all and we haven't even talked about you know the other ending to that episode when uh aaron driscoll's daughter commits suicide um it's it's normally that would be a major plot point (laughs) of the episode but when you have so much that's already going on in the episode and that's just kind of a footnote that tells you how action packed um, like the first half of season four was, was, you know, aside from the first three or four episodes where it was kind of slow building. Um, but after, after that, after Jack saved secretary Heller, everything after that was pretty, you know, balls to the wall kind of, you know, action packed that we've come to expect from 24. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and of course, as, as, as all this is unfolding with, uh, with Marwan or after that, we re- we come to find out that Marwan worked for the company called McLennan Forrester. And, and, uh, and we didn't really, really, we didn't really talk about Paul Rains and, um, and all that, but, uh, Paul Rains. Uh, is um, Audrey's husband, estranged husband, um, however that term is there. I, I, I guess they're not fully divorced yet. So, But anyway, they uh, his name comes up on a property that Marwan was using. And, and so Jack tortures, a mild torture, but he still tortures uh, Paul oh, Reigns. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, yeah, we give it. Paul Rains is, I guess, pretty tough for a accountant type person. But, uh, but anyway, so so they come. Paul gets cleared, and then they go to McLennan Forrester, and Paul says, "Hey, I wrote that software that they use. Take me there to help you be able to do that. There, there's no one can do it faster than me because I wrote it. I can get where they can't, and mm-hmm. so." So they go there and they're starting to dig in. McClendon Foresters realize, okay, oh, this, there was this terror threat, and an employee of ours was involved. We need to clear all our, all this stuff out. And it it's insane. First, they're trying to outrun Paul as he's searching for stuff. They're trying to go through and delete everything before before Paul's able to find it. And they're struggling. They're struggling. Paul finds something and they're trying to print it out. And they're like, okay, they're, they're finding out too much stuff. And so they hit the EMP and it blows the electricity for, I don't remember how many blocks, but a large area eight. of like eight. So a large area of like downtown LA basically. And it's all dark. No, no electronics work, no communications, everything's down. And, and so, so they do, I mean, on the part of McClendon Forrester, I get, okay, there's some negative press, negative consequences, because there was an employee of theirs that was using company resources to be able to pull off or try to pull off this terrorist thing. But then their idea of, oh, well, let's just 
it's it's like they're trying to do all these things to try to avoid it and it just keeps escalating keeps escalating okay it's bad now they're trying to delete the information and then they set off an emp okay that's that's pretty bad and then they send a paramilitary unit to go out to kill paul and jack it's like okay you guys are i mean it's just getting worse and worse for you guys it's like it's like oh look at this we got we're in a deep hole let's dig a little bit deeper <laughs> i mean to their credit they said that you know it was gonna bring down their company and everything like that but <laughs> it's 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 like i'm i'm pretty sure you know all the criminal justice background that i have i'm pretty sure that you could have found a way to absolve yourself if he was doing this without your knowledge that's just yeah. me that's just my opinion and they should know that they're a paramilitary <laughs> company <laughs> but the 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 links that they went to to shut Jack and Paul up were just maybe a bit much. Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean that's like you know if 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 some if the FBI is coming to investigate your building and you have you have documents on the third floor that implicate you in a sex trafficking ring, so. Your so your solution of of getting rid of that is just to burn the whole building down, <laughs> all five floors, just to get rid of that third floor. <laughs> that's just burn the whole building down. That's that's the equivalent of what they're doing here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm I'm no computer programmer, but I feel like there probably could be a better way. Um, but it's just. I mean, eight city blocks. I mean, it's not its not just your building. I mean, you took out eight city blocks to keep them from finding a couple of documents. And <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was a bit extreme. But <clears throat> the, the, the fact that, you know, Paul, I want to I say that Paul was doing it more to impress Audrey than he was to actually... Uh, I guess do the right thing because I'm, I'm pretty sure he wanted Audrey to see that hey I can be I can be just like Jack you know what makes him different than me mm-hmm. and I, I think that may have been part of it yeah um, but it's it's just so much unnecessary stuff that went into it <laughs> yeah yeah, it was it was crazy, and then and then the whole whatever couple episodes as as they're being hunted in the dark and and all that. that so that I think that comes in the next, next week, week, though. But I'm not going to be here next week, so I can. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 next week. The, the the episode ended pretty much. Uh, episode twelve, I believe, ended with uh, Reigns being held up, and then uh, Heller. Because we, we also forgot to talk about that uh, Driscoll, because of what happened to her daughter, was relieved of her command. And Tony was put in charge on a provisional basis until they found somebody, which ended up only lasting like an hour before. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> before they. Uh, like, well, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just at least a couple of hours. <laughs> and, then, and then to his surprise, you know, comes Michelle Dessler. And the episode pretty much ends <laughs> with one of my one of my favorite one-liners. Uh, Heller's like, uh, "Yeah, Michelle Dessler, you know her." And Tony just looked at him. He's like, "Yeah, I'm married to her. <laughs> I I used to be married to her." <laughs> it was like, it was like, here we go again. I mean, I just oh. told Jack that seeing him reminds me of a past I'm trying to forget. And now here comes my ex-wife back in the fold. <laughs> it's like, here's the past. Boom. <laughs> so it's like, can I go home now <laughs> and, and wallow myself in my, in my, in my self-pity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, we didn't really get into it, but yeah, with, um, with Maya Driscoll, I, it just seemed like it was a huge plot device that they were just using to get rid of Driscoll, which which I, I don't really like plot devices, but at the same time, I didn't really like Driscoll or her character. <laughs> and so 
it's like <laughs> but I mean, usually, usually every every CTU director which I'll probably put Driscoll on the short list of the worst CTU directors. Yeah. But of all the C- CTU directors up to this point, <clears throat> they all start off kind of adversarial to the common goal. They all start off as, um, even Jack in season one, they all start off as kind of um, giving you reasons to not like them. But then, you know, eventually they they do something or they say something or they they perform some kind of action that kind of redeems themselves before um, they get removed. Driscoll never did that. You know, she was pretty much, I mean, she was forced to let Jack help them. Mm-hmm. So she didn't really, she didn't really relent. She was just kind of forced because she didn't have any other options. Um, I mean, you kind of felt sorry for her when it came to her daughter, mm-hmm. but everything, everything leading up to that, how she treated her employees, how she, how she, you know, basically threw Chloe out in the trash. <laughs> you know, the <clears throat> everything that she had done up to that point made it hard for you to have sympathy for her. Um, I will, I will say that she is one of the, uh, she did do something that CTU directors were not known for leading up to that point, um, which was staying alive. (laughs) But (laughs) other than, other than that, she did, she didn't really, uh, bring too much, um, positivity to the, to the, to the office. I can't really yeah. think of very many positive um, aspects of Aaron Driscoll's leadership. Yeah, and, and what she should have done <clears throat> when when Maya showed up and she was escalating in her tantrums, Driscoll was getting distracted so much. She should have made the choice of stepping down, passing the baton. And taking care of her daughter, let somebody else take CTU at least for the day to get through the events and be able to do that. And if she would have done that, if she, she would have had to swallow her pride, which is why she stayed, because she's like, I have to be the one that do. No, she doesn't have to be the one that be there. There's plenty of other people capable of leading CTU, which we actually see after she leaves that there are plenty of people capable. But, um, but yeah, so, so we, we get there and she should have done that and she would have been able to save her daughter's life, most likely, because her daughter was wanting her mom and her mom was saying, no, I can't see you right now, constantly. And it was, it was terrible. I mean, it, it's a, I mean, obviously it's easy to be able to say that looking back and it's easy saying that when we don't really like the CTU director <laughs> also, but but, but, but also it's, it's like, eh, it, it kind of, kind of makes me think personally, it's like, okay, what kind of decisions do I need to make? <laughs> Lessons learned from 24. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's another, it's, it's another plot device. I mean, I felt like the whole thing with her and her daughter was, um, I felt like it was just a way to eventually write her out without killing her. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way I felt about it. Um, because there was just, it's another one of those things that I've talked about before where it just seems out of nowhere. Like it just seems so separate from everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, for one was kind of, uh, ready for her to go. Um, I felt like she was. Like I said, she wasn't my favorite CTU director. She was probably my least favorite. Um, but at the same, but at the same time, you had to. It became too cliche to just kill off the CTU director. You know, we had saw it in the previous two seasons, so it became too. Uh, you know, that became sort of a go-to for twenty-four. 
So I guess this was just a more creative way to write her out of the of the series. Mm-hmm. I think it would have worked better if they introduced the tension with Maya earlier. <laughs> because because I mean, at the beginning, it's like you just see Aaron and she's just as bullheaded person and then after a while it's like oh yeah she has this daughter that has schizophrenia and whatever else she may have too but and it's like it, it just it's like it's like okay if there was this problem i mean why just, just kind of drop little bits here and there and it, it probably would have worked better i think if they introduced it from the beginning okay here she has a struggle at home but she's trying to be this this the super strong woman leader and it's like she's trying to overcompensate and go overboard and i don't know it it, it just uh, it just kind of seemed weird it's like all of a sudden boom oh yeah by the way here's this i mean we see the same thing we get in the season five with um with mcgill and they introduce oh here's his druggy sister and anyway so it was yeah that's one of, that's one of the bad things about 24 is they have these plot devices which I'm not against plot devices if they make sense and if they yeah. connect to the overall story. Uh, but one thing 24 had a bad habit of was introducing plot devices <clears throat> to give somebody something to do. Yeah. We saw, we saw it with Kim in the first two seasons. Um, just giving, Just giving them something just to give them something kind of takes away from the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, so that kind of wraps up a lot of the stuff in this part. I know there's definitely things that we missed, uh, but we'll come back and wrap things up here in a few weeks, kind of get some of the things that we missed. But next week we're going to come back. Actually, I'm not going to be here. It'll be Joel and Bradley running the show. And boy, <laughs> and so be covering episode or yeah episodes 13 through 18 as we get into this next little segment here going into the darkness of night anyway so um continues to ask like continues to grow and uh very a lot of things happen in the last part of season four here that set up for a lot of future seasons. And so it'll be interesting to be able to discuss all of those pieces. Changes the course of 24 forever. Yes, absolutely. But anyway, so I thank you for listening and uh, feel free to share this podcast. I don't think I've said that in a while, but definitely share this with anybody else, you know, that likes 24 and if they don't like 24, then you need to get new friends. I or think have it's them killed. A, well, I don't know if I want to go online and say that, but <laughs> that came from the mouth of Joel, and his email is no. <laughs> and uh, send send all send all your hate tweets to at Joshua Rivers <laughs> <laughs> or but at anyway. Twenty Four Podcast. Yeah. But anyway, so we we thank you for 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 listening, and we will catch you on the very next episode. 